Amen. Amen. Do me a favor and grab a Bible. There, there should be some down by your feet in baskets. And get with me to the book of Acts, to Acts chapter 3. It's on page 884 in the Bibles that we have here, page 884. So as a church at all of our campuses, we're doing a series right now on Grow. We're looking at some of the, the different things that we could do as individuals and as a community of faith to help us to help us grow, and, and our, our small group stuff is going alongside of that. If you're, in, if you're in a group right now, we've got the workbooks and the resources to help you um, continue the conversation, not just on Sunday mornings, but in, in your ordinary life as well. Um, I'm going to pray, and then uh, this is kind of a long story, so I want to spend a little bit of time just getting right after it. So let's pray first. God, help us right now to hear your voice loud and clear. Uh, we're so grateful, God, that we can come together as a church family and open the word together. Uh, but what we desire in this moment is that you would speak and that by doing that, things would happen, that we would be changed even on the spot, even while we're just listening and reading. And, and Lord, by your spirit, would you do a profound work in each of our hearts and help us to love and appreciate and hold high the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. We're going to look at this in two different scenes. If you're tracking in Luke chapter 3, there are kind of two things that happen. And the first scene is the healing event itself, where, where Peter and John interact with this individual, and this individual is made well. That's in verses 1 to 10 there. That's the first scene, so we'll look at that in just a moment. But then the second scene is what happens after that, and it's an explanation, not, not of the healing event, but of the healer himself. And that actually takes up kind of the lion's share of the material, is that Peter wants people to be very clear that the power comes from Jesus himself. So let's look at this healing event in, in verses 1 to 10. The first thing that's happening is they're moving toward the temple. We, last week we were talking about, as a church, there are things we should be devoted to. There are things that we should be committed to. And one of those things is devotion to prayer. And so now Peter and John are showing their devotion. They're on their way to the temple to pray with the rest of the community of faith. This is what they do. They're committed to this reality. And, and I just want to remind you then that if you do spiritual disciplines, if you commit yourself to things like prayer and things like Bible reading, you actually position yourself to experience the power of God. Um, you know, I have conversations from time to time with people who say, I don't want to do spiritual disciplines unless I just want to do them. Uh, kind of like uh, my wife will say, hey, I want you to want to do it, right? Yeah, I want you to want to do it. And people will think that way about their spiritual disciplines, and they'll go, well, I don't want to do a spiritual discipline if I am not feeling it. That would be like legalistic or half-hearted or whatever the case might be. But I want to suggest that doing them actually trains your heart to like doing them. And so these individuals, Peter and John, are committed to this activity of going to the temple to pray, and while they're going there, they interact with this individual who's an invalid. He's, he's, he's been crippled, and we hear about him in verse 2. Now, a man who was, who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. This guy who had been born without the natural abilities that we all take for granted— and this guy, his lot in life then is to try to figure out how he can just provide for himself. And luckily, he's got some people who are willing to carry him to the temple courts, but, but here's his life. He sits there and he asks people, will you please help me? Will you please give me something so that I can live, so that I can get food or whatever the case might be? But that is what he does. And, and, and Peter and John, as they're walking then, they see this man and they see him laying there and this interaction happens. Verse 3, when, when he saw, when this man saw Peter and John about to enter, 
He asked them for money. It was pretty, you know, normal. That's what you would expect for him to do. But how they respond is abnormal. Verses four to six, Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Peter has something to give, but it's not resources. He's not looking at silver and gold and all this loot that he has and saying, look, I know you're in a desperate condition. I can do something about that. Now that's what we should be willing to do that as a church, as individual Christians. When we find somebody in need, if we've got resources and we can do something to meet that need, we should move toward them. But Peter and John are just being honest. They've been traveling around for three years. He had a fishing business and he left that to follow Jesus Christ, and he walked with him, and he did ministry with him, and for a number of years, they just kind of, they just kind of did life. And I remember what that's like when, when I did the action sports ministry for a handful of years, and um, started to kind of change my my life situation. I was thinking about long term stuff. I was dating Ashley. She was living in the city, and I remember going in and, and spending time with her, and we'd we'd go out and have meals and stuff. And you know, I was doing itinerant ministry, so I was making nothing. And I remember going out in Chicago and looking at the menu and being like, are you kidding me? I can't afford anything. I don't have anything. So I know how Peter feels to be able to say, look, we don't have silver and gold to give to you, but we do have something. I, and what I have, I'm willing to give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Of Na- in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And, and the power of God then does something very profound in this person's life. He has something to give, and it is surprising to us. It is, it's God's healing work. This guy who had been born his entire life, he doesn't even know what it would feel like to walk on his own feet. And now Peter's able to say, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And the healing, verses 7 to 8, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet, and he began to walk in a moment, in an instantaneous moment, by the power of Jesus Christ, this man gets up and his body is well again. His body is well for the, for the very first time. His body, he's, his ankles are strong, his muscles are strong, he's walking now. We find him rejoicing then. The response to the healing power of God is that people freak out about it. Verse 8, he, he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God because now he has experienced the power of God and that healing work in his life, and the people are drawn to this as well. The entire crowd then begins to wonder at this thing. Look at verses 9 and 10. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So everyone's freaking out because the power of God is on display God has done something now through the ministry of Peter and John and in the life of this one man, and now everyone is, you know, they're gazing at it, they're gaping at it, they're going, what is happening here? And this, everyone's worshiping on account of it. So, so here's what we need to think about then. What does this have to do with us this morning? What does this have to do with us here at Central McChesney Park? I want to suggest that the church should be willing to give away what it has. Now, here's something important we need to recognize. We have to have something to give it away. Uh, just like when you go on a flight and, and they tell you, if in the event that the oxygen drops out, you should put this on yourself first. And if you've got a child with you, you do yourself first so that you're able to help somebody else. You, you have to be able to give away what you have. 
And as the church, if we're going to be honest, we need to say, do we have the power of God? Do we have the power of God like they have the power of God here? We should be willing to say, we might not have a lot of resources. You know, as a campus, we don't have a ton of loot. We, we can't onboard all these new initiatives and bless our community in all this way with financial resources, but we should be able to say, what we do have, we will freely give away, and it is the power of God on display in our lives. Now, that's pretty wild stuff, but, but I, I think that the church ought to be a place where the power of God is normal, where when we're hanging out together, the Spirit of God living in us is not some abnormal reality that we can't even wrap our heads around, but God is doing something through us that we are able to say, this is what we have, and we will give it away to other people. The power of God on display. Now, you might be thinking, because I was thinking it this week, you might be thinking, cool, Cora, what an awesome story. But that's Peter and John. They're apostles. They're, you know, they spent time w- with Jesus himself. They, were, they had this special calling in all of history. They were, they were right there at that pivotal, pivotal point of time when the church was being launched, and they had this incredible calling. So I, it's awesome that we have stories like that, but we're not them. We're just normal, ordinary people. We're just trying to figure out how to do life. We're just here at church trying to figure out, you know, how can I glorify God this week? But, but we're just normal people. And the truth is, so is Peter and John. Peter and John are normal, ordinary individuals. In fact, if you look at the very next chapter, what happens is they get arrested. They get put in prison overnight. And they're so bold in the way that they're explaining their faith in Christ that everyone's kind of taking notice of it. In fact, in, in uh, verse 13 of chapter 4, it looks like this. It says, When the leadership saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary fishermen, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Here's what the Bible's saying. Peter and John are normal, unschooled, ordinary individuals. Just like us. They're just ordinary people. But the power of God is on display through them because of their faith in the name Jesus Christ. And so we need to be the kind of place that recognizes we're going to bring all of our ordinariness to God, and we're going to expect for his spirit to work through us, not because of our gift mix, not because of the accolades that we might have, not because of what we can do as a church, but because of the power of the name of Jesus Christ working through the Holy Spirit itself. Now, this week, Brad sent me a message. There was this uh, Francis Chan message that was flying around the internet this week, and I love Francis Chan. In fact, uh, I was thinking about it. I listened to every message that he gave at his church from 2000 to 2009, uh, which is a lot, you know, 40 to 50 sermons a year, all of that. I, that's what, when, when I was sitting in the office with Jared, that's probably what I was doing, listening to Francis Chan sermons. But, but there's this new one that was flying around the internet this week, and Brad sends it to me. He goes, hey, check this thing out. And I was, I was watching it, and I'm texting him while I'm watching it, and I said, I was like, Brad, this is, this is so good. And I'm halfway through it. I'm like, this reminds me of this verse that 10 years ago became so important to me. And I sent it off to Brad. I was like, you need to check this out. And I keep listening. And it's the next verse that Chan shares. Um, but, but it's this verse. It's from, it's from 2 Peter chapter 1. And I, I want to show it to you. I'll throw it up on the screen in just a moment. But here's what I need you to recognize. When we talk about Peter and John and we go, they're just in a different class, they're not like us. They're, they're totally unique. They, we, we have no similarities between them. 
I need you to see this. This has influenced my ministry and my life so much. It just makes me believe ordinary Christians, are, that's where it's at. Being ordinary Christians, on fire for God, in the power of the Spirit, that's where it's at. Peter writes to the scattered church, the second Peter, he writes to the church, all these ordinary individuals, and he says this, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Peter is saying what you have is the same as what I have. We have faith in God. We have faith, the same faith that he had in his Savior, we have. We're not just ordinary individuals if we'll tap into the the reality that God's power can work through us. And we don't have to get special degrees for that to happen, and we don't have to have all this experience. We just have to be willing to believe that the power is not in us, it's in the name. And that's what happens here. Peter and James see this man get well. And I love this story. Um, And I love it partly because my dad just had back surgery. My mom just had some weird diagnosis, and it ended up being okay. And a lot of people in our church are are experiencing all kinds of difficulty and health stuff. And and I want to believe that the power of God can show up in our lives and change us and make us well. And that's why I love this story, and and I I just want to spend time with us thinking through, okay, how does this work, and how can we tap into the Holy Spirit of God working these kinds of things in our lives? So that brings us to scene number two, the explanation of the healer, verses 11 to 26. So this man gets well, and what we find then is that the power of God gives a platform to share the message of God, that when God's power is on display through the lives of Christians, it gives the, the opportunity to talk not just about the healing, but the one who can heal. And in fact, if you're looking at how much time is being spent, when you're telling a story, you can, you can show what you care about by where you place the emphasis. And if you're going to devote a ton of time and energy to something, you're, you're revealing this is what's really important for people to know. Almost two-thirds of our section today are devoted to explaining Christ. And this healed man he just fades into the background. We don't even hear about him again. Now Peter is going to talk about the one who brought the healing. So we need to be the kind of Christians who are happy to talk about the healer. And we want for his healing power to be at work in our lives and in our church, but we're mainly concerned with the one who can bring that healing, Jesus Christ himself. Um, and, and, and so let's look, let's look at this. So Peter does this. He begins to explain the gospel message. He begins to explain who Jesus is, what has been promised of him, and how that came true in, in real time. And I guess I want to talk kind of to two different people. Some of us are Christians, and what we need to do is pray that God's power would be evident in our lives, and then we should be thinking this morning, how can I get better at being more like Peter and telling people the news? Some of us, we just need to listen to it that way and go, what are some of the things that I could share with my coworkers when they see the the Spirit of God living in me? But some of us in here, I'm sure, have never trusted Christ as Lord and Savior. And so even as we go through this message, I hope that you'll hear this and and it'll provoke you to think, am I willing to entrust my, my life to this man? If he's really that powerful and able to heal and he's really doing this stuff and he's got a plan, Am I willing to surrender my life to him by faith? So let's look at this. Peter, Peter gives us the gospel message. It's long. I'm going to break it into a few different chunks. The first thing we see is that Christ is the healer. Jesus Christ is the healer. It's not us. 
It's not us. That's what Peter and John say. Verse 12, after the crowd gathers, he says, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? As you're looking at this man who's well, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness, we made this man walk? He's saying, Jesus is the healer. We're not the healers. Jesus worked through us, but it is not us. It's him. We're limited. We're frail. We don't have it in us. We don't have the godliness or the righteousness or the power, but God working through us is what accomplished this. This morning, I was... um, talking to my dad, and uh, he's laid up at home after back surgery, and so I was talking to him, and, and, and I was, we, you know, the trailer tire uh, popped yesterday. It was flat, and so we had to get that fixed, and so I'm hooking it up first thing in the morning, and he's checking in on me, saying, hey, how's it going? How's the sermon? And I was just telling him, this was a hard week for a lot of different reasons, and the message was the thing that I felt suffered. And he said, well, I just want to pray with you. And as he was praying, his prayer reminded me of how powerful God is and how frail I am. And I was so happy to, to receive that prayer from him because it just reminded me, at the end of the day, it's, it doesn't matter if I have had a perfect week and I get every, all the time that I want to do all the stuff to be able to present the message. What, what's, what really matters is that we come into this moment and we believe that the Spirit of God is here and is going to do something. And, and my limitations actually become instruments that God uses to reveal his glory. And so he's saying, we didn't do this, God did it. We didn't do this healing, Jesus did it. Look at verse 16. By faith, in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you all can see. He's saying Jesus is the one who did it. It is the power that is in the name. We have the name of Jesus, and and we're just representatives of him. So our limitations, we shouldn't shouldn't get hung up on those because we're doing life and ministry as his representatives, going in his name, sharing the power of that name with other people. So Christ is the healer. When we think about how somebody can get well again, we love, you know, medical technology and all that the doctors can do, but we believe that God has power to make people well, and Jesus is the, he, he's the one who's doing it. Second thing we see here, the gospel message tells us that Christ is the suffering servant, that what happened doesn't, it wasn't a surprise to God, that when you, when you look at the fact that Jesus was handed over and crucified, it wasn't like this was something that God was you know, taken aback by going, I didn't have any clue this was going to happen. In fact, this was a part of the plan all along. That the way that we experience the healing of God is that the healer himself suffered. The way that we experience God's transforming power in our lives is that Jesus was willing to go to a cross, and as a substitute, he was willing to take suffering and pain and death on the chin. He, he, he took it on. And so what we find here is that Christ is the suffering servant, verses 13 to 15. You handed him over to be killed, talking to the crowd. You literally told them that he needed to be flogged and crucified. You disowned him before Pilate, though Pilate had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. Now, I've had some bad days. I've never had a day like that where I realized, oh, crud, I screwed up real bad. This was one of those moments where Peter is saying, you guys, you had the author of life in front of you and you sentenced him to death. And instead of freeing him, you had a murderer released to you. 
He's saying, you did this. But it wasn't a surprise to God. Look at verse 18. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. This was the plan of God. The way of salvation was that God in love was going to send his son, and that son was going to suffer and die for us. And he was going to do away then with pain and sickness and death, and he was going to do it in a very dramatic fashion as he himself took it on. He died in our place, and that was the plan of God all along. Christ is the suffering servant, and so when we suffer, we recognize that we're in, a, we're in good company because our Savior suffered as well. And we find out in the gospel message that Christ is the promised one, that, th- that he's the one who all throughout history God has been telling us about. Verse 21, halfway through it, it says, as God promised long ago through his holy prophets. Jesus is the one who God has been drawing our attention to throughout all of the ages. Verse 22, Moses promised there's a prophet coming after him who's going to be even superior to Moses. Listen to what he says. In fact, verse 24, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken foretold these days. The Bible is all testifying about this man, Jesus Christ, the suffering servant. And he's the promised one of old then that, that all of the scriptures are pointing to. And here's the, here's the next thing that we learn when we're looking at the gospel message, and this is beautiful. Christ will make all things new. The healer who is willing to suffer as the servant, as the Messiah, he was the promised one of old, but here's what he's, going, here's what he's doing. He's making all things new, beginning with us. He's making all things new. Verse 21, heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything. What's he doing right now? Well, presently, he's at the right hand of the Father. And he's there for a season. But he's not stuck there. He's coming back. And what is he going to do when he comes back? He's going to make all things new. He is going to bring his healing, and it is going to be incredible. I was talking to another pastor this week, and we were just talking about this thing. And he said, yeah, I've been, I've been reminded lately that all healing is temporary. And he was just talking about, you know, this dude that we're we're looking at whose ankles got well and his bones got well and he's jumping around and rejoicing. He's not around anymore. He's a first century Jewish man. He died a long, long, long time ago. His healing was great, but it was temporary. And so Pastor and I, we were talking about this thing and we're just saying, yeah, it's all temporary. And then I said, until it's not. All healing is temporary until it's not. There's a day coming when Jesus returns and makes all things new, and the healing doesn't have this temporary effect on people. It has a permanent staying power for all the ages. That's what I'm looking forward to. My my father-in-law, you guys know him because he's here usually. He's not here this morning, but he had a bad accident when he was a young adult, and he broke his neck, and he was paralyzed, and there was concern. The girls were real little at that time. He was an athlete loved playing soccer, loved playing basketball, had this, ter- this terrible injury, and the rest of his adult life has been affected by that. And in my household, we pray for him. We pray with faith that God would remove the pain in his hips, that, that God would give him the ability to have control over his body so he's not experiencing pain. We want the rest of his life to just be comfortable and for God's healing to be on display, and we'll glorify God. But here's something that I can bank on that I'm so confident in if my prayer doesn't get answered immediately, it is going to get answered. There's a day coming when my kids, they're here this morning, they love doing dance parties. I don't like dancing, but I love dancing with my kids. They'll put on some music 
or, or a, a movie, a part of a movie that, that there's a great song on, and they'll just dance around, they'll sing, and they'll be jumping on stuff and doing this. And there's a day coming, friends, when Steve is dancing with my kids. And he's jumping up and down, and he's getting on our tables. He's doing, you know, he's just going crazy because Jesus is going to make all things new. That's the promise of the gospel. Now listen, if you believe that, that changes everything. If you believe that Jesus is the healer, and one day he's going to flex his healing power, and it's going to affect everything, it's going to make all things different, it changes how you do your suffering right now. If you've been diagnosed with something, if, if you're going through a season of, of depression or, or mental illness, or you're, you're going through something like a lot of our people are, it changes that to know one day that's going away. Death is no more, sickness is no more, pain is no more, the old order of things is passing away because Jesus is making all things new. It changes us. So the gospel message is a really great message. We have a healer, he is powerful, and he is working his healing power for believers in him. So here's the last thing we need to do, and it's very, very important. The last thing that you need to see is it is important that you trust in him. It is important that you trust in him. Look at verses 18 and 19. I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. You handed him over. You you called for his death. You called for his execution. Some of us in here, we belittled him. We made him out to be insignificant. We, we talked about Jesus as a crutch for weak people. We, we, we talked about him as being inconsequential in our lives, and we just wanted to rule the own, our lives and do it our own way. And he's saying, I know you acted in ignorance, but repent. Verse 19, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. You need to trust in him. Not just know some things about him, but entrust your life to him by faith, in him. Verse 23, anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. We're being told here that a part of the gospel message is not just knowledge of him and his ability, but it is repenting of our self-righteousness. It's repenting of trying to be the healers of our own lives, and it's trusting in him, believing that he, by our faith in him, that we get to experience the power of God. That's what we need to do. We need to trust in him, and we need to share that message with people and call them also to trust in him. So I'm going to invite the band to come up, and while they come and get set, I just want to remind us of where we've been this morning. God is calling us as Christians to experience his power, and it is possible for that to happen because God is powerful. And we can be ordinary individuals, but God, through the name of Jesus Christ, can do incredible things in our lives. And, and that gives us then the opportunity to tell people about the powerful one, about the healer, about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's do that. Let's make his name known. Let's pray. God, we ask right now for anyone in here who maybe for the first time heard the gospel in a way that warmed their heart and made them think about an eternity with you and made them think about how powerful and awesome you truly are, Would you help them, Lord, to go public with their faith? Would you help them to trust in you and to make it known to a bunch of people that you're their savior? And Lord, as a church, we just want to be good at seeing need and meeting that need. And we might not have a lot. McChesney Park doesn't have a ton. But what we have, we want to give away. And we want to have the power of God on display in our lives, and we want to give that away freely. Help us, Lord, to lift high the name of your son, Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.